So here it is. We've alluded to this story several times. Let's read it once again, maybe even this time with ears attempting to listen as though hearing it for the very first time, the parable of the Good Samaritan from the Gospel according to Luke, the only place you'll find it, the 10th chapter, the 25th verse through the 37th, Common English Bible translation. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. And when the priest saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. There's a wonderful little folktale from Burma that captures for me what is the essence of what I believe Jesus was trying to say to the listeners of this parable when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a similar story, yet different, in that it reminds me and will perhaps remind you that asking the right questions is vital in our quest to faithfully love our neighbors. Long ago, a traveler was walking through the jungles of Burma when he came upon a small village. As the sun was going down, he decided to just sleep alongside the road and then enter the village the next morning. So taking his coin purse from around his neck, he found a stone nearby and he hid his purse so no one would take it as he slept. As it turned out, however, a villager had spotted him hiding that purse under that rock and late at night as the traveler slept, the villager returned and stole that coin purse 
along with all of its contents. And so, when the traveler awoke, the traveler's money was gone. The traveler sat down beside the road and began to weep. The crowd began to gather curious about what the traveler was weeping about on the edge of the village alongside the road. And before long, the mayor of the village joined the crowd and inquired about the situation. He listened to the traveler and then he asked to see the stone. And the traveler walked a short distance over to that round stone about the size of a man's head that he had hidden his coin purse under and he brought it back. And the mayor ordered, oddly to all who were listening, arrest that stone and bring that thief, talking about the stone, to the town square where I'm going to convene a court. And so the villagers followed the mayor and the traveler down to the town square. And once the village elders were in place, the mayor convened court in a very official manner. The mayor asked the stone, Stone, what is your name? Well, no surprise, the stone was silent. So the mayor leaned forward closer to the stone and demanded, Well, at least tell us where did you come from? Still more silence. Well, at least tell us your age. Now, by this time, some of the villagers, they were casting glances at each other. They were a little intimidated, trying not to laugh out loud. It was the mayor, after all. Small little smiles and puzzled looks were on the faces of the villagers, but the mayor pressed on. He pushed his face down closer to the stone. So you don't want to speak up, huh? Tell me, why were you loitering outside our village? The villagers began to cover their mouths, trying to muffle the, the laughter that was building. As, were you looking for trouble? The mayor asked the stone. And some of the villagers couldn't contain themselves any longer, and they audibly let out some giggles and some laughs. And the mayor turned back around, faced the crowd, and declared, Show some respect. After all, this is a court of law. And then he, he turned back toward the stone, and the mayor said, Well, you're not going to answer my questions, so I have no other choice but to hold you in contempt of court. In punishment, you're going to receive 30 lashes with a stick. And to that, the crowd erupted in laughter. They could not contain it any longer. The mayor turned right back around to the crowd. Have you no respect for this court? I fine every single one of you a coin apiece. And one by one, the villagers came forward and dropped a coin into a bowl in front of the mayor. And the mayor walked the coins over to the traveler, apologized for the crime that had been committed outside the village. And the traveler's eyes filled with tears once again for what he had lost had been restored the mayor wished the traveler well, and he ordered the stone to be returned to the place where it was found. People talked about this trial for years in this part of the world, and some thought the mayor acted foolishly, but most admitted the mayor acted with great wisdom. Every time the villagers, in fact, to this day, it's been told, walk past that stone, they are reminded that they share the burdens of one another and everyone who passes their way. The story and the parable Remind me of the neighborly responsibility that we all bear for every single person who comes near our lives. When we are willing to ask hard questions of ourselves, to really wrestle with deep, even sometimes troubling questions when it comes to loving our neighbors, we'll stumble on the right thing to do more times than not. We know, truthfully, deep in our hearts that we are all connected to one another as neighbors. And yet at the same time, we tend to behave in the opposite sometimes, isolating ourselves, kind of creating a bubble into which we can retreat. This is why we have to be willing to ask the right questions. 
I expect if there is one story in the New Testament that's familiar to most of us, besides some of the really big ones, it would be this story from Luke that includes this parable of the Good Samaritan. And yet, while it's really well known, I wonder how many of us grasp the actual impact of Jesus' parable for our own everyday lives. The story begins, do you remember? A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. So at the time Jesus lived, it's important to know there were hundreds of laws governing almost every single aspect of life you could imagine. So this question posed to Jesus by this legal expert was one that many people would have wondered about. What must I do to win the prize of eternal life? And typical of Jesus, he does a Jesus thing and he turns the question right back on that legal expert. Well, what's written in the law, you lawyer? Well, the lawyer knew, in theory, the foundation of all laws could be traced back to the Ten Commandments. So in response, the lawyer provides cliff notes on those commandments and says, well, you've heard it said, this is the summary of everything. Love God with all your heart and soul and strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer was in the position most of us are in. He could recite what the law said. But he decided to take his question one step further with just a little goading from Jesus. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now this, this was a question Jesus was willing to spend some time with, it appears. Jesus must have thought to himself, you know, those kinds of things, because, you know, this question, it was less selfish, and it was much closer to the heart of what he'd been trying to teach everybody all the other days of his ministry so far. Who is my neighbor? It's a central question of life. It's a central question in the life of the church today, and it's one that is even discussed in the life of our nation, even if it's not worded that way. It's the question that determines how churches will either include or exclude LGBTQ persons within their communities. Who is my neighbor? Who really am I willing to allow to be my neighbor? It's the question that determines how churches uh, and how Christians will treat people of other faith traditions. Say, for example, Muslims. Will they be respected as equals even though their beliefs or customs are different? Will we pretend they're not there? Or will, will we do even worse and pretend that they're a person that needs to be converted as a sort of a trophy for our own faith? Who is my neighbor? It's a question that will either cause people of faith to wrestle deeply with this question and, in fact, become uncomfortable with the fact that our own United States of America is separating families at our southern border and locking children in overcrowded cages where they're sleeping on concrete floors surrounded by their own waste, or if we're not willing to wrestle with who is my neighbor, we'll just start asking other questions that are less important, like, well, how did they get there? What were their parents really thinking to do that? It's ultimately the question for persons of faith. Who is my neighbor? And the depth of our integrity, the sincerity of our discipleship, can be measured by just how deeply we are willing to wrestle with this question and some others that always point us to neighbor. Who is my neighbor anyway. Jesus didn't lecture the lawyer about neighborliness. Did you notice that? Instead, he told a story. And it is a story that answered both the lawyer's initial question as well as the better question. What must I do to inherit eternal life and who is my neighbor? And the story Jesus told is about putting words into action. 
So while the lawyer wondered about attaining the reward, you know, eternal life, Jesus talked about eternal life in the now. In essence, Jesus was telling the lawyer that eternal life is in the doing. It's in the being. It's now. Now, it's an interesting thing to realize. Jesus spent almost no time ever talking about his disciples' pursuit of an afterlife for themselves, but spent almost all of his time teaching anyone who would listen and talking about how faithful people should treat their neighbors. This was the central message. So I believe there are at least two challenges. When we try to read this story today, our modern ears and eyes, they give us a couple of problems when we read this story. We may not realize it, but I think it's important to admit these things. The first problem, first and foremost, for the hearers of this parable today, is that we know nothing about Samaritans. And we, we, we assume that it's normal to be a good Samaritan. But you see, we're not suspicious of Samaritans. We've only ever heard this story. And after all, the good Samaritan is the hero of this story. But these two words would have never gone side by side to the people in Jesus' original audience. A good Samaritan was an oxymoron. For Samaritans had rejected Jerusalem as the central place for worship. And so they were even actually worse than Gentile outsiders. They were complete backsliders and reprobates. So good Samaritan? That would have been unheard of. And the second thing is that we live in a culture today, as American Christians, that closely aligns with the first question, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, we don't usually even realize that's what most of Christianity has become in this, in this Bible Belt area in particular. The primary motiv motivating factor, the big why of Christianity. And yet it was not the big why of Christianity if you read the words of Jesus. Yet Christians huddle inside church buildings on Sunday mornings every week, even now strategizing how they can get the rest of the world interested if they would only pray the right prayer. You know, dear God, forgive me, don't kill me, Jesus died for me, instead of me I don't have to, so keep me in heaven forever, thank you, amen. If we could only get people, more people to pray that prayer, we would populate heaven and all would be well. Well, not exactly. Jesus was saying here in this very parable, there are better questions. And if you die tonight, do you know for certain where you'd spend eternity? Better question always starts with, who is my neighbor? And how can I love them more faithfully? Now, this may be a hard pill to swallow for some. As the Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor once said, the problem is many of the people in need of saving are in churches. And at least part of what they need saving from is the idea that God sees the world the same way they do. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was not obsessed with abandoning this world for some other world like many Christians are. Jesus was obsessed with how we treat one another. Jesus was obsessed with us erasing the dividing lines and boundaries that we try to draw between ourselves, and which God just shrugs God's shoulders Jesus was obsessed with how we treat one another, and he challenged anyone who would listen to love one another across every single boundary, across every single line that we could try to ever draw or come up with to put between ourselves. Now, there are many questions we no doubt ponder each and every day. But if we truly claim to be people concerned with loving our neighbors as ourselves, we cannot live as many live around us in this world. We cannot be satisfied with only asking ourselves questions that reinforce our preconceived ideas 
and speaking only to those who are in our belief system already. We cannot be satisfied with asking ourselves questions that just say what we want to hear. You know, like, hey, the primary motivating factor besides this idea or besides this policy that's going to be proposed, it's how is it, how is it going to affect me and my portfolio and my bank account? And what's it going to cost and who's going to pay for it? Well, all those things have to be worked out. Before we decide whether we're for or against something, we have to ask more important questions than that. You know, not questions like this. Well, which side of the border are these people from? And to whom do these children belong that are being held in these cages? Those aren't the right questions. Those are jaded political partisan questions. Those are not Jesus questions. They're cold, selfish questions. The, those questions are void of compassion and responsibility. And Jesus, by the way, was seldom patient with folks who were so far removed asking the wrong kinds of questions. In fact, he normally either turned over tables or left town. You didn't have to have exactly the right question, but you had to be in the right chapter of the right book. But it always centered on loving neighbor. And for Jesus, the right kinds of questions were always, 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 who is my neighbor? How do I love them more faithfully? Which one of these acted like a neighbor, Jesus asked. And the lawyer replied, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy mercy. And then something interesting happened. Did you catch it? Jesus said, go and do likewise. The parable shows us how being a neighbor works, and the story may have already been told, but the ending is still being written. Go and do likewise. For you see the rest of the story is up to us. Amen.